0: Hi everyone, I'm Jen Malat, and thanks for joining us for the latest edition of Essential Antitrust. On July 9th, President Biden signed an executive order that could have far reaching effects on antitrust and regulatory enforcement across many sectors, including technology, healthcare, pharma, and agriculture. The executive order has received a lot of press coverage, but it also comes among several other antitrust developments in the US that suggest that political interest in antitrust isn't going away anytime soon, and even more reform efforts may be on the horizon. I'm joined today by two of my U.S. colleagues to help shed some light on what the executive order does and does not do and what it means for businesses. First, we have Bruce McCulloch from Washington, D.C. Great to have you here, Bruce. Thank you, Jen. And also, we have Justin Stewart-Teitelbaum, also from our D.C. office. Thanks for joining us, Justin.
1: Great to be with you, Jen.
0: So, Bruce, let me start with you. You know, the executive order has been described as ambitious, maybe even as a game changer in some of the press coverage. There was a New York Times headline last week that declared America's 40-year experiment with big business is over. Can you give us just a little bit of context for what an executive order actually is and how much day-to-day impact it might have?
2: Sure, Jen. Uh, First of all, executive orders are are not laws. Um, Only Congress can pass laws. Executive orders are directives that are issued by the president, um, and they don't require legislative approval. In essence, they are just mandates and a policy direction that the president wants to move. In this case, there there is no immediate impact other than what we already know. Uh, the Biden administration will be more aggressive in enforcing the antitrust laws than prior administrations, and that includes even prior Democratic administrations, which tend to be more aggressive than Republican administrations. But this executive order signals the Federal Trade Commission and the U.S. Department of Justice and other agencies to move forward with a progressive antitrust agenda that will include enforcement and rulemaking. That is going to happen, but that being said, there will be opposition, and Congress can make it difficult to carry out the directives in an executive order by taking away funding or opposing legislation, and any expansion of the antitrust laws may be challenged in court.
0: Thanks, Bruce. So, Justin, you know, I appreciate that the order is very broad, but can you walk us through some of the key provisions?
1: Indeed, happy to. So you're right. It is broad and far reaching. In fact, the Biden administration is calling it a, quote, whole of government approach. But just to pull out a few sort of key highlights, the order contains 72 initiatives for a dozen federal agencies, including the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice, who focus on antitrust enforcement. And all of these agencies are being asked to potentially pass new regulations, rescind some existing regulations, and take certain actions pursuant to their statutory authority, in order to further the Biden administration's antitrust policy. They're also being asked to coordinate with one another where there is potentially overlapping jurisdiction. And in order to ensure that these initiatives are carried out and that the coordination takes place, the order creates a new White House Competition Council, which is comprised of nine standing agency members and other agencies may participate from time to time as well. So it's broad, it's sought to be coordinated and it's sought to be, quote, whole of government.
0: So. Bruce, if I go back to your comment that businesses aren't going to feel the impact of this immediately, when might we start to see new policies, new regulations coming out of this order and going into effect?
2: As you noted, Jen, the order was signed July 9th, but it will be some time before businesses feel any real impact directly from the executive order. This is because a dozen federal agencies must first establish new policies and procedures to ensure that the order's directives are achieved and the federal government in the US does not move at at lightning pace. To put pressure on the agencies, however, the order does provide deadlines to either develop new guidance for companies or submit reports to the White House Competition Council on the competitive landscape of various market sectors. However, delays are bound to happen. The breadth of the order alone will take time to implement. For instance, some of the order's initiatives Will likely be challenged or held up in litigation. I will note that companies really are feeling the impact of more aggressive antitrust enforcement generally by the agencies, which is consistent with the president's executive order.
0: Yeah. So that's really interesting, Bruce. And I wonder, Justin, are there going to be specific industries or sectors that are more likely to feel that pain than others?
1: Yeah, I think that there are, and, and the order actually explicitly focuses particularly on a, on a few sectors, healthcare, transportation, agriculture, and not surprisingly tech. They're explicitly targeted areas of the economy where some, in the at least in the Biden administration, believe that undue consolidation or anti-competitive conduct may already be occurring. It also, however, beyond that, asks for reforms that could affect all businesses, such as requesting major reforms in labor markets and an overall increased scrutiny of mergers generally. This could lead to pushing the executive order well beyond the sectors identified in the initial statements from the Biden administration.
0: So, Justin, I want to pick up on one point you just made about reforms in the labor market. You know, I think we haven't always historically thought about the labor market as an area where there's a huge amount of antitrust enforcement. But... Bruce, can you talk a little bit about what kind of impact on hiring or retention of employees we might see if some of the initiatives in the order come into effect?
2: Sure. The Biden administration fundamentally believes that employees have fewer opportunities today than they did in the past due to a lack of competition among employers. To deal with this issue, the order asks the FTC to use its rulemaking authority to address unnecessary occupational licensing restrictions and unfair non-compete agreements. You know, non-competes, uh, which are standard in, in many markets, are clauses in employment contracts that stop workers from going to work for competitors of their former employers. Alina Khan, who is the new FTC chairwoman, has previously argued that these type of clauses diminish workers' bargaining power, as have many uh, on the Democratic Party's progressive wing. Labor is very much at issue in the new world of, of progressive antitrust. At a minimum, businesses are likely to see far more regulatory scrutiny over these types of practices and an increase in private litigation in this area. Today, there are only a few states that ban non-compete agreements uh, in employment contracts. So, an outright federal ban, if it were to occur or to be enforced as such, would be a significant change in federal policy. In any event, companies will need to closely evaluate their current and future employment agreements that restrict the mobility of employees. Yeah. And I think to add to
1: that, Bruce, interestingly, the order also instructs the agencies to currently reassess antitrust HR guidance that was jointly issued by the DOJ and the FTC back in 2016 under President Obama. The 2016 guidance addressed wage fixing and no poach or no hire agreements and was a notable policy initiative in its own right at the time and in the interim, and has been, since been enforced under the Trump administration since its initial release. The new executive order argues that workers could actually be harmed by the 2016 guidance because the Biden administration believes it currently allows third parties to make wage information available to employers and not workers without triggering antitrust scrutiny in some instances. Is It is perceived that this could lead to wage collusion amongst competing employers.
0: So, Bruce, picking up on your comment that businesses are going to see more regulatory scrutiny over employment practices going forward, how can a company sitting here waiting for this executive order to start to impact them day to day, what sort of things could they do to prepare for that?
2: Well, Jen, it's difficult to say when and, and how the changes will take effect, but Businesses surely uh, should provide their HR departments with antitrust compliance training, and that's not always an area in business that receives antitrust training. And overall, antitrust compliance training will need to be revisited to ensure that it covers the latest developments related to both non-competes and exchange of wage information. Legal departments should also consider reviewing their past practices to test if any of their compliance procedures require updates or modification as a result of the the sort of shifting antitrust landscape in the U.S.
0: So shifting away from, you know, the HR and labor piece of this, Justin, you mentioned earlier that businesses might also face greater merger scrutiny in the future based on the order. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: sure happy to i think that that's right i mean i think though to pick up on a point that bruce made at the very beginning this was anticipated greater merger scrutiny and greater merger control enforcement from the ftc and the doj however the executive order asks both the doj and the ftc to enforce the competition laws quote with rigor and explicitly refers to the agency's authority to challenge consummated mergers that is mergers already completed under the merger guidelines and in response to this, Chairwoman Khan at the FTC and Acting Assistant Attorney General Richard Powers have already announced that they'll begin to review current merger guidelines to determine if they are, quote, overly permissive in light of the current economic trend. What you're seeing is a plan for enhanced scrutiny, but also an executive order directing the agencies to revisit merger control policy more broadly. The order also specifically encourages a policy of greater scrutiny of mergers in banking, technology and hospital sectors. And these areas should take special note of the order in their deal planning and should probably expect heightened scrutiny of their transactions moving forward regardless. None of this enforcement focus is particularly new. As I said, in the current environment, we expected this type of enhanced scrutiny following the election of President Biden with or without the executive order. But the fact that it's been explicitly and specifically included in the executive order as a direction to the antitrust agencies is consistent and confirmation about the progressive view that this administration is going to push on from a merger enforcement perspective.
0: Thanks, Justin. And, you know, I think we've been focusing so far on some of the provisions of the order that go across sectors. But, you know, there are some parts of the order that are very sector specific. Justin, as you mentioned, the deal with healthcare, transportation, agriculture and technology. Bruce, should companies in those sectors be more wary? What should they be thinking about right now? Well, they they certainly
2: should look at the order. Many of the industry-focused reforms are are very targeted, and they are ultimately a mix of competition and consumer protection initiatives, as well as some provisions aimed at protecting small businesses. For example, in the healthcare sector, the order encourages importing prescription drugs from Canada using generic and biosimilar drugs and over-the-counter hearing aids. The order also targets pay-for-delay practices, which have been a focus area for the FTC for many years, including various enforcement actions and associated litigations. In transportation, the order directs the Department of Transportation, the DOT, to issue rules to make fees more transparent and to demand customer refunds, like when baggage is delayed or a service like your in-flight Wi-Fi is down or not provided. So these are very targeted provisions. The order also asks the DOJ to work with regulatory agencies against foreign-owned shipping alliances and monopolized rail routes that the Biden administration believes has driven up shipping costs.
1: That's right, Bruce. And, and in agriculture, the order encourages new rules to allow farmers to sue large agricultural processors if they are either underpaid or retaliated against for speaking out, perhaps against certain bad practices. It also asks the FTC to create rules limiting manufacturers from restricting consumers' ability to use third-party repair or do-it-yourself repair services. This rule would likely have impacts beyond farmers. For example, it could also apply to manufacturers of technologies, including mobile phones, gaming systems, and other tech. And speaking of, not surprisingly, the order also covers the tech industry specifically. The order encourages the FTC to establish rules on the accumulation of data and to bar unfair methods of competition on internet marketplaces and platforms. It also asked the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, to restore net neutrality rules and would require internet service providers to report their prices and subscription rates to the FTC.
0: So, Bruce, Justin, you know, you have both talked a lot about the Biden administration's view on antitrust, the sort of enforcement atmosphere in a democratic administration. But does this executive order in particular have any Republican support?
2: Um, Yes. I guess somewhat surprisingly, the order does have some bipartisan support, and some prominent Republican economists, uh, including Gary Winslet of the R Street Institute, have endorsed the plan. Labor, in particular, has received bipartisan praise. Labor issues and antitrust have generally been popular uh, on both sides of the aisle. The Obama administration was the first to announce that wage fixing and no-poach practices could lead to criminal liability and not just civil liability. But it was the Trump Department of Justice that ultimately brought the first criminal charges for this type of conduct with expansions of those cases in recent days, and we understand that they continue. Also, no-poach prohibitions and the easing of occupational licensing restrictions have significant support from both parties.
0: I want to take, you know, a step back a bit away from the executive order itself. I mean, obviously, it's getting a lot of press. People are a bit anxious about it. But it's also just one of many antitrust reform efforts and developments that we are seeing in the U.S. since the Biden administration came into office. Justin, can you tell us a little bit more of how the executive order fits within that broader context?
1: Sure. I think it's a really good point. There's actually been a flurry of antitrust-related news in recent months in the U.S., but it's worth mentioning a few specific initiatives that are particularly telling about the climate of antitrust enforcement. First, the Biden administration's nomination of three well-known advocates for antitrust reform to major positions in the administration, Lena Khan, Tim Wu, and Jonathan Cantor can be seen as consistent with the push as well as the executive order. Lena Khan, to take the first one, was confirmed as an FTC commissioner by a 69-28 vote in the Senate but then was immediately named as the new FTC chairwoman, which actually angered some of the Senate Republicans who either voted for her or dissented in that vote. Khan graduated from Yale Law School just four years ago, but had made waves in the antitrust world as a law student with her very critical article called Amazon's Antitrust Paradox. She was also one of the main authors of the House Judiciary Committee's Digital Market Report. And we've already seen big tech companies, because of her background, Amazon and Facebook specifically, call for Lena Khan's recusal based on her prior expressed views. So we'll see how that's battled out in the administrative and in the courts. But Khan, and we'll come on to this later, is pressing for more major reforms at the FTC, including an across-the-board increase in in-depth merger investigations and, and beyond, rulemaking, etc.,
2: Yeah. And Justin, as you noted, uh, just this week, President Biden nominated Jonathan Cantor for Assistant Attorney General of the DOJ's Antitrust Division. This was an appointment long in discussion. And he's not confirmed yet, but if he is confirmed, he obviously will be highly influential in antitrust policy. Although he is not considered an antitrust progressive necessarily, Kander has a long history of challenging big tech in private practice as well as a regulator. Another uh, notable uh, appointment on the antitrust front is Tim Wu uh, as special assistant to the president for technology and competition policy. Tim Wu uh, was a former special advisor to the FTC and was a policy advisor to President Obama on the National Economic Council. He is a proponent of a more interventionist approach to antitrust and he believes that industry concentration has led to inequality and other social harms. The appointments uh, of Khan and Wu and then and now the nomination of Cantor uh, send a signal that this is very consistent with the executive order about the high level of antitrust enforcement that we can expect in the Biden administration.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that that's right, Bruce. And, and, and an interesting thing going on at the FTC that we're seeing is for the first time in the agency's history, Chairwoman Khan has recently announced that the FTC would host monthly public meetings to increase agency transparency. There have been two so far, one just yesterday. Going back to the first one, which is notable, the July 1st meeting, the commissioners split three to two along party lines on all the motions that were tabled at that public meeting, including three relevant to the antitrust enforcement agenda. One was withdrawing a 2015 bipartisan policy statement on Section 5 of the FTC Act, that had been viewed as a guiding concept seeking to prevent unfettered use of the FTC's unfair methods of competition authority too far beyond the existing antitrust laws and jurisprudence. The second was permitting a single commissioner on the FTC to approve the use of compulsory process, i.e. subpoenas, for enforcement priorities, which is consistent with broadening investigations both in number and scope. And third is allowing the FTC chair herself to oversee public rulemaking hearings so all of this is just pressing ahead on and, and every avenue. The next FTC meeting occurred just yesterday, and the commission voted to rescind a 1995 policy statement regarding prior approval and notice for remedies in merger cases. With the policy rescinded, any company that has entered into a prior deal that the FTC in some manner deems anti-competitive must seek prior approval and notify the agency anytime it enters into a deal in the same segment, regardless of pre-merger HSR notification filing requirements or not. The vote, again, was 3-2 to along party lines, with Chairwoman Kahn arguing that the policy will ensure the already under-resourced FTC does not engage in redundant analyses and will give the FTC broader enforcement discretion. Commissioner Wilson, the Republican, disagreed and said that among other issues, the rescission will lead to greater uncertainty for businesses, and Commissioner Phillips added that rescinding the policy ignores market realities and changing market conditions. Based on these early hearings, it is clear that Chairwoman Khan has a progressive agenda in mind, and companies will be facing a more hands-on approach from the FTC.
2: Yeah, and, it, and it's not just the FTC and, and the DOJ that will be uh, impacted. There is actual abundance of proposed antitrust legislation from both the House and and the Senate. And, and this has been in the news recently. Senator Klobuchar, who has long pushed antitrust policy, recently introduced the competition in antitrust law enforcement review action uh, called Calera. The bill would lower the merger review standard from the current substantially lessened competition to the new standard, which would be to create an appreciable risk of materially lessening competition. This would shift the burden to the merging parties for certain acquisitions, such as acquisitions significantly increasing market concentration, acquisitions by firms uh, with over 50% market share, acquisition of disruptive competitors. The bill also contains additional antitrust reform proposals, including prohibiting mergers that create a monopsony or substantial dominance of a labor market again, a focus uh, on the labor market. It would also, companies that receive remedies for mergers will be required to report post-merger data to show if efficiencies actually materialized. Um, it would make it easier to prove that exclusionary conduct violates the antitrust laws. It also increases fines for antitrust violations, and it eliminates uh, a market definition requirement. Klobuchar also announced last month that she was working on companion bills for the recent group of antitrust bills that were introduced in the House Judiciary Committee. As background, the House introduced a suite of six major antitrust reform bills that were recently voted out of committee but are not yet on the floor. Klobuchar has said that she was particularly interested in the non-discrimination bill, which prevents online companies from favoring their own products. However, she said the Senate bill was likely to be slightly different than the House bill. While Congress is unlikely to pass this sort of sweeping antitrust reform anytime soon, it is clear that antitrust reform has support from both sides of the aisle, at least as to certain issues.
1: I think that that's right, Bruce. And I think it's important also to think about that while new legislation might not be coming immediately, there is a lot that the agencies can do to increase enforcement within the existing laws. And we're certainly seeing signals from the agencies themselves that they're ramping up, particularly in certain sectors. One recent example is the FTC's Pharmaceutical Working Group. In March 2021, the FTC announced it was launching a working group to update its approach to analyzing pharmaceutical mergers. This group has regulators from Canada, the EU, and the UK, as well as representatives from the DOJ and the state attorneys general here in the US. Commissioner Slaughter, who was then acting chairwoman of the FTC, has indicated that this working group would review previous mergers in the pharma space to understand how to structure future enforcement and to possibly take corrective action if necessary, so you'll see certain pushes and sectors continue um, even without broad sweeping legislation coming through.
0: Well, you know, thanks to both of you for all that added context. I mean, I think it's it's clear that the executive order is just one piece in a much broader uh, puzzle that we're seeing in the U.S. at the moment. But you know, I want to ask you each, you know, just in one sentence, if. You know, you had a client sitting in front of you saying, what is the number one thing that I should take away from this executive order? What would that be? Justin?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the key takeaway is it's clear that the Biden administration and its political allies are serious about antitrust reform broadly, but also about enhanced enforcement. We should expect the White House and the FTC to continue to focus on antitrust policy for the foreseeable future and at minimum throughout the Biden administration.
2: Yeah, I clearly agree with that, Justin. But there are limits to what President Biden can do on his own to change antitrust policy. But this executive order shows that President Biden and certainly his political appointees are determined to make significant progressive changes in antitrust policy with or without Congress's assistance.
0: Well, there you have it. Thanks so much, to both of you for that information on the executive order and for that broader context of what we're seeing in the US enforcement landscape. I expect this won't be the last we're hearing from our US team over the coming months and years as things continue to develop in the US. But, you know, Bruce, Justin, thank you very much for taking the time to walk us through it today.
1: Thanks for having us. Yep, thanks, Jen.
0: And thanks very much to everyone else for listening. And as always, please send your feedback or ideas for future episodes to essentialantitrust at freshfields.com. We'll be taking a brief holiday from the podcast in August, but we look forward to seeing you again in September with more Essential Antitrust.